This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Good morning, good morning. My name is Arnaldo and I am uh, one of the pastors here and I want to extend a really warm welcome um, to everyone, especially if this is your first time here. So we are in our third week of a four-week series called Every Day. And our desire in this series has been uh, to talk about one particular aspect of our everyday lives. And so we talked about food and technology. Today we'll be speaking about our relationship with time and how that's marked by busyness. And next week, Matt will speak on fashion and justice. And our desire is that we wouldn't relegate Jesus to the periphery of our lives, that we wouldn't just be Sunday Christians, but that we would see that Jesus has to do with every single part of our life. Abraham uh, Kuyper was a statesman and a theologian, and he is famous for saying that there is not one square inch in the entire cosmos, in the entire universe, where Jesus does not scream, mine. Everything is his. And we are desiring desire for you is that as you uh, enter through this series and as you come out is that you would say about your life, there is not one square inch of my life that Jesus doesn't scream mine. Because if we want to grow in our discipleship, if we want to be deeply formed in Jesus, everything must be his. And today we're going to be looking at busyness and the unhurried life that Jesus calls us into. And I know this is going to sound very alien to a lot of us, to most of us, if not to every single one of us. And I understand. I remember when I saw the, uh, the preaching roster and I saw my name uh, on January 20th. What's today? 20th? 20th. January 20th. Busyness. And I laughed because I feel like I'm the most unqualified person to speak to you about busyness. I've struggled with busyness. I have uh, struggled with managing time. And yet what God has been teaching me, especially this past year, and as I've prepared for this, is that maybe that qualifies me to speak to you about the struggles and about the joy about the, of the invitation that, that Jesus has for us of entering his rest. And so before I do that, let me pray, and then we will jump right into it. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have given us just enough health and energy to be here this morning. We thank you for the million mercies that we have overlooked uh, to get us here this morning. And we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would move, that you would move those from death to life, that you would move those who are lukewarm to blazing hot. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people this morning and remember the things that will be helpful for your people this morning. Glorify your name now, Jesus, I pray. And it's in your beautiful and precious name that we pray. Amen. And a man, 1930, the economist John Keynes wrote a now famous essay, and it was entitled The Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. Now, in 1930, thinking about your grandchildren, it's, it's about our age, those who are currently in the workforce. And his prediction for us would be that we would be working approximately 15 hours a week. 
That was his prediction in 1930. Exactly. That's the right response. And because of the technological advancements that were happening, of course, the Industrial Revolution was well, uh, very well into its second phase and just trucking along. And his idea was that our problem would not be busyness in today's age, but leisure. Leisure would become the epidemic. What would we do with our time? Well, John, <laughs> there are other futurists even today who are speaking in similar terms. That, that by 2100, our issue will be leisure. Well... And despite the average hours of Australians going down since 1980, 1979 was the peak of, of hours worked by the average Australian. And, and that's changed due to some circumstances around there being less full-time workers and more part-time workers. But nevertheless, we are actually working less hours on average today than we were in 1979. And yet... What marks our day, what marks our age, what marks your spirit is often the sense of tiredness, this lack of time, this busyness, this feeling stretched, this feeling overwhelmed, feeling panicky, feeling anxious, feelings of depression. We are stretched beyond our limits. And we can tell this just by how we speak to one another. We've just had Christmas, New Year's. I'm sure you've caught up with people who you didn't want to catch up with and people who you did want to catch up with. And oftentimes what we do is when we say, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Busy, busy, busy. But good, a good busy. It's the good kind. Yeah, no, I haven't slept in days, but I'm good. Why is it that so often we use that as a way to mark ourselves. How are you? Busy. Busy, busy, busy. Rebecca Huntley from, uh, uh, wrote at ABC Life, she says this, it's almost as if saying, if you have lots of time and aren't busy, that is an admission of failure or betrays a lack of imagination and ambition. Busyness has become for us an obsession that even while it kills us, we use it as a badge of honor. We use it to tell the world, I am needed. I am wanted. I am important. And I remember uh, the late Eugene Peterson in one of his books uh, that was geared towards uh, clergy and, and pastoral uh, people, he, he said that, we're often busy for two reasons. We're busy because we're lazy. I thought, no, Eugene. I'm busy because I'm busy. And he says, we're busy because we're lazy because we allow other people to create our schedules for us. We, create, we, we allow other people's demands to drain us and extend and exceed our limits. And so we're lazy because we, don't, we are not intentional with our time, the time that God has given us to steward. But he also says, and this one hit a nerve for me, was that he, he, he says we are often busy because we are vain. Because it makes us look good. And oftentimes when a lot of you guys come, come to us, you say, you know, you preface it with, hey, I know you're busy. I know you're busy, but. And so often that feeds pride. 
We're busy, so we're wanted, we're important. But as John Mark Comer says, if we are going to enter into the life of Jesus, he's a pastor from Portland, Oregon, uh, which he'll be out here uh, in just a couple weeks. He says, if we want to enter into the life of Jesus, we need to enter into the lifestyle of Jesus, of this unhurriedness. I don't know if you've heard the name Dallas Willard, but Dallas Willard is one of my heroes. And he was asked one day, he said, if you have one word that will describe Jesus, what is it? And I want you to stop just for five seconds now. Think about it. What is one word that if someone were to ask you, give me, just give me one thing that, that's a banner over Jesus. Dallas Willard's answer was relaxed. So I, want, I want some of that. Relaxed. Jesus was relaxed. And this is the point, that we cannot be busy and be deeply formed in Christ at the same time. We cannot be busy and be deeply formed in Christ at the same time. Before you pull out your pitchforks, just give me a moment. But the reality is that we're addicted to busy. We are addicted to busyness. And an addiction is something that we engage in, whether it's a substance, an act, that does harm to us, and yet we feel like we can't stop. We are addicted to busy, partly because it communicates that we are important. And, and even when it's not from our culture, if it's from our stories uh, of origin, my mom, I remember as a kid, <laughs> used to say, uh, bored? Boredom is a sin. Don't ever say you're bored. That's a sin because the idle hands are the devil's playground. And so whether it's coming from my broken family of origin or yours, the stories that we grew up with that are in our bones, or it's coming from our culture, we are in this climate that we almost cannot get out. It feels like a blizzard for a lot of us. Ronald Rollheiser, he says this, Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult. Not just to think about God or pray, we know that's difficult, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion, pathological busyness, Distraction and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness. I'm not sure if that marks your life today or if it will, but we are in somewhat of a blizzard today. And we find it hard to get out. And we just think, if I just had more hours, I'd be fine. If... The days were like 25 hours or, or 30 even, I'd be fine. I'd be able to get the mowing done. I'd be able to get everything done. I'd be able to get my homework in on time. I'd be able to, you know, uh, uh, complete all my meetings, all my tasks. I would, my problem would be leisure. William Penn in the 17th century, a Quaker, uh, he, he said this. He said, time is what we want most, but what we use worst. And if I had 10 more hours to my day, I would just stuff it with more to do, more books to read, more grass to cut, more dogs to feed, more kids to put to bed. We would just stuff our days with stuff. 
Because as Kevin DeYoung reminds us in his really, really good book called Crazy Busy, he says this, the disorder of daily life is a product of disorder in the innermost places of the heart. Things are not the way they ought to be because we are not the way we ought to be. And yes, there may be a problem with your diary. Yes, there may be a problem with your scheduling. Yes, you may have issues with time management. But you can read every single book on time management or self-care or self-help. And if we don't enter into the deep rest that Jesus is offering us, and we know this because we're working less hours, we vacation more than any other people in the history of the world, and yet we are marked by restlessness. Why? Because it's not just about how we organize our day books. Oh, that is important, very important. But Jesus is calling us to a new way of life. So yes, I want to offer you some very simple ways that we can declutter or unhurry our lives because we cannot be both busy and be both deeply formed in Christ. Busyness, Thomas Merton says, is violence to the soul violence to the soul. And even if you hear that, even if you've never heard that before, you feel that reality, that we are out of touch, confused, distracted, and it feels like we are caught up in a blizzard. And this is where Jesus comes in. These words in Matthew 11 have, have, have been so elusive for me because I have wanted them so bad, and yet my busyness has constantly blocked the way to entering into experiencing the life that Jesus offers us. I want to read it to you. Once again, Matthew 11. Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I say, yes, Jesus, bring it on. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I don't know if you know what a yoke looks like, but this is it. Now, a yoke does not look easy. It does not look comfortable. What I would expect Jesus to say is, let me put the kids to bed for you tonight, guy. Let me mow the lawn for you. Go take a vacation. Take a rest. And Jesus offers us something better, deeper, truer. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, are you tired? Yes. Worn out? I'm feeling that. Burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And Jesus calls us to come under a yoke with him to learn from him, not just about him. It's not about just learning what Jesus says or believing what he commands us to believe, but it is living into and out of his lifestyle. It's about living in 
and out of his lifestyle. Frederick Dale Bruner wrote one of the best commentaries on the Gospel of Matthew. He says this about this text. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. For in the final analysis, realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, which is what we do when we go on the gram and we scroll for 20 minutes, and of course, there was some life-changing activity over on Facebook, and so we go to that. But then once we're done there, well, something must have happened on the gram, so we have to go back, and we constantly distract ourselves. He doesn't offer us escape. He offers us equipment. He offers us a new way to live a new way to bear, a fresh way to bear life's responsibilities. Our culture will, will tell you to escape, to take that extra vacation, to take that extra day, and that may be necessary at some points. But unless we have this deep soul rest that Jesus calls us into, a sustained way of living, we will constantly be restless. I was speaking to someone after uh, the first service, and uh, he was telling me he, he had something like four weeks off, and um, you know he had done all the house chores in about a, a day and a half, and he just couldn't stop. He was so used to, so restless, so used to activity, so used to the world telling him that he is what he does, or he is who other people say about him, what, what other people say about him, or he is what he owns. It's hard for us to stop. And so I want to offer you today one long-term gift and several other gifts. But one long-term gift is the Sabbath. And many of us, maybe if you grew up in church, you'll, you'll you know, you're kind of maybe nervous at this stage, thinking, is, is Arnaldo speaking about this new legalism? Are we under the law? And that betrays an understanding of why God gave the Ten Commandments in, in the first place. The Sabbath is the fourth of the ten, the longest. And when we think about the commandments as ways to earn God's favor, yes, that is death. But the law, the Ten Commandments were given not to be a burden on ourselves, but as tools for liberation, to liberate our true humanity. That's why we were given the gift of Sabbath. And this is going to look vastly different for each and every one of us. Now, the Sabbath is uh, basically a 24-hour period where you cease. where you stop. And there are some markers of what a biblical Sabbath looks like. One is that we stop. And we don't stop just to refuel for the next week. Oftentimes, that's how we view our rest. We view the week, we view the weekend or rest as a way to sort of G up, to, to re-energize for the work week. But the Sabbath was not made for the week. The week is for the Sabbath. Sabbath, Abraham Herschel says, is the climax of living. And so we stop. And we don't stop just to fill in that time with other work that's going to drain us. But we stop. 
We unplug. We unplug, literally unplug. But we also rest. What is it that you find restful? For me, it's not the beach. Now, for Catherine, it is. And so we need to work on what our Sabbath looks like. It's not restful for me to find a car full of sand and screaming kids. I don't know about you. That's not rest. She loves it. What gives you deep rest? And how can you protect that? But we also delight. Sabbath can be translated as delight. And we mimic our God when, when he, he stepped back on the sixth day and he viewed his creation and he said, oh, this is very good. And then he rested. And so we mimic God in our delight of the world, of friends, of good food and wine and leisure and play. We delight, but we also contemplate that we do this towards God. So often we think that as Christians, we, we need to have different kind of activities. Now, I'm not talking about things that you sh- clearly should not do. But oftentimes, it's about what, we, what direction we are doing our activity towards. And so as you play, as you rest, as you nap towards God, and we embrace this gift of Sabbath. We embrace this gift of Sabbath. And in the, in the next week, I'll, I'll be posting up some things on, on Facebook and on our family page about what it, what it could look like for us this year to embrace this gift, to live an unhurried life so that Christ can be deeply formed in us. Because straight up, we will not be deeply formed in Christ if we continue at this violent and busy pace. Because even when we vacation, even when we, 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 we temporarily stop and we fill in our time, there's this restlessness that continues. There's this ache in our souls. And so we stop. We rest. We delight. We contemplate. I want to read to you something from this beautiful book that I read this week on the Sabbath because I, I, I sense uh, there are maybe some of us who feel uh, that this may be something else to do. Something else to keep us busy. Something else to fail at or something else to become a Pharisee or legalistic about. Listen to this. Above all, Sabbath must be undertaken with great grace. Rigidity is not the solution. Whenever we see rigidity in the created realm, it is often a sign of death. There is no legalism here. Rather, a freedom to accept a gift Frankly, I think some have destroyed the joy of Sabbath by surrounding it with prescriptive laws and precedents. That is not our Sabbath. Our Sabbath was made for us, given to us by God. Its purpose is worship and restoration. Whatever it takes to make that happen, we will do. Graceless Sabbath is legalism. That is why it is better to do the Sabbath poorly than to never try. Make Sabbath mistakes. Learn from them. Then enter the next Sabbath with your lesson in your hand. Learning how to fail at the Sabbath is a critical part of learning how to Sabbath. Let us give grace to ourselves and to each other. Let us give grace to ourselves and to each other. And what a gift. I mean, listen to Jesus' words. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a master. 
He's asking us to enter into life to the full. When Jesus says, I have come to give life and life in abundance, life to the full, so often that eludes us because we can't stop to receive the gift. We can't stop to receive the gift. So the long-term goal for us that I would love us to pursue, to be trained in, is to learn how to Sabbath well. To learn how to Sabbath well. But some short-term goals, I'll give you 10, and if the Spirit leads, 20. Is to observe the speed limit. That maybe feels jarring for you. You went from such sort of deep spirituality, Sabbath, rest, grace, to just driving well. Observe the speed limit always. Because life is about every day. Maybe you don't use the express line at Woolies, right? You go, you got your basket, and you are poised. Like you're like, you're doing some recon, and you're like, which line is going to get me out of here seven seconds faster? (laughs) And you switch. You're like, "Ah, I'm not going there, I'm, I'm here. Or what I do, what I do, you know, I go behind someone who has a full trolley with like one or two things and sort of like, <laughs> really, you're going to make, really? You're a bad person. How dare you make me wait? Take the slow lane on the highway. Arrive at least 15 minutes early to every appointment you have. And don't check your phone while you wait. Stare at a tree. A marvel at a spider web. Look at the stars. But keep your phone in your pocket. If it takes you five minutes to drive somewhere, consider walking 20 or 30 minutes. It's good for you. Have your lunch at work. Check this out. Without working revolutionary. And we've been doing this in the offices, and it's been fantastic, where we stop and we eat and we look at each other while we eat. It's great. And apparently what you should do is chew your food 40 times. I think that's disgusting, but it will help you to slow down and give you better digestion, gut health. It's a win-win. Consider using a mindfulness or or mental health app like Headspace, which has been incredibly helpful in my journey. Buy an alarm clock and turn off your phone. Buy their cheap, 10 bucks, Kmart, they're cheap. Buy an alarm clock and turn off your phone because one of the ways that we are so easily distracted in the morning, a way that we have trained ourselves We've trained our brains to wake up is by having that bright screen in our face. I've I've, I've joked around uh, with with this, and and my wife and I do it to to one another. We say, oh, we can't sleep. Yeah, yeah. you got a bright screen in your face. Of course. Of course. How do we unhurry our lives? Buy an alarm clock, turn your phone off. Turn off push notifications. That seems like maybe too much for you. That, that seems like Jesus is calling you to cut off your arm. You don't need to be at the beck and call of notifications. You don't need to pick up every call. You don't need to answer every text. 
You can take control of the way that you engage with technology, turn off those push notifications, and have an absolutely no phone policy during every single mealtime. Put it away, turn it off, put it in another room. Be with the person, be present, unhurry yourselves, take out your diary, see what you need to cut out of your life. Cut things out of your life and enter into this unhurried life that Jesus calls us. And to some of us, this may seem so incredibly untainable. And that's why we need a community of people around us. We need people who love us, who are loved by us, so that we can help each other as a community. I'm really, really looking forward to this Peakers GC because we will be able to put these things into practice Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount, when he ends that sermon in Matthew 7, he talks about the wise person and the foolish person. And he says, the wise person heard me, but didn't put it into practice. Sorry, the foolish person. The foolish person heard what I said, heard my teaching, but didn't put it into practice. The wise person heard my teaching and put it into practice. So how this year, how can we take steps, baby steps, into an unhurried life so that we can stop, rest, delight, and contemplate the goodness of Jesus. I want to read to you again Matthew 11, and I want you to hear this as a personal invitation from Jesus, the creator of the universe, to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whether you are a believer here this morning, whether you've been walking with Jesus for a while, notice it's walking with Jesus and not running with Jesus. And it's not like power walking with Jesus. Walk with me. Learn from me. Slow down. You are not, listen, you are not what you own. And so if you feel that you're overworking because you feel you need to keep up with the Joneses, you are not what you own. You need to hear that this morning. If you need to put more hours in because they are putting more hours in, you are not what people say about you. You need to hear that. Jesus has a word for you. It's called being the beloved. You are his. And as he entered into the muddy waters of the Jordan to identify with us as he was baptized, as he comes out, there was a voice from booming out of heaven that said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that word is yours today, this morning. That is yours. That is yours. And we get to, 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 to simmer in that as we stop and we Sabbath. And we slow down our lives to taste and see that he is good. And so I want to pray for us. And I want to spend, before we sing together, I want to spend one minute 
in silence. That's going to be hard. It was hard for me to do it earlier because we're used to about 15 seconds of silence. That's about our limit, 15 seconds of silence. And so as we are here, I want us to maybe, this is a practice that I do. It's a gesture with my body that I want to receive God's invitation to enter into his rest. And so I hold my palms open. You don't need to do this, but if you feel comfortable, you can join me in that. And it's a way to signal with our whole bodies, not just with our minds, but with our whole bodies, that we want to accept this invitation, this gift to enter into rest. And so I'm going to pray. And then we're going to enter into a minute of silence, and then I'll close us off, and then we will uh, sing together. So let me pray and uh, get ready to feel how awkward it is for you and how our stories of origin or our culture have not trained us to be still. Because the prophet Isaiah says, God through the prophet Isaiah says that in quietness, And strength is my salvation. Let me pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that you're a holy God. We thank you that you are good. And so as we enter into a moment of silence, a moment of stillness, maybe this is the only moment anyone here has gotten this week. Maybe we, we haven't stopped. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will meet us now. That you will meet us as you met Elijah in the silence. You were not in the whirlwind. You were not in the earthquake. But you were in the silence. And so meet us now, we pray.